0: There's Todd here on Summer Valley FM. I'm with Lucy and Peter, who are both collection and house officers of the National Trust site here in Stourhead. We're actually sort of sat in the North Court. Is that right? They're nodding at me, so I'm going to say it. (laughs) I'm going to say I've got that bit right. Um, We've just walked around the house itself and looked at all the uh, collections that you've actually got in the house itself. Can um, one of you give Mm. us a little bit of information about the the general history to, uh, to when the house was built, for example?
1: Um, so we're actually celebrating our 300th year since the house began uh, being built. So uh, it began being built in 1721 by Henry Hall I, and if you come into the entrance hall there's a great portrait of him holding the um, blueprints or, of uh, the Colin Campbell's original design for the house. Um, He started the house but sadly couldn't finish it, so it was finished by Henry Hall II, nicknamed Henry the Magnificent in 1725, who uh, completed the original Palladian mansion and uh, started work on the, you know, internationally renowned landscape gardens that we now have, and uh, that then passed to his grandson Richard Colt Hoare, who added the wings between sort of 1780s and 1790s. And sort of if you fast forward to more modern history, where you have um, Sir Henry and Alda um, Lady Hoare, who gave the National Trust property, uh, gave it to the National Trust. In 1946, when uh, the trust only had six houses, so it was uh, one of the first acquisitions.
0: It' one of the a well, newer collection to the National Trust at the time, which yeah. is uh, just uh, just after World War Two, as well so um, uh, Peter, obviously you've been here for quite a few years surrounding <laughs> <as well. Yeah. laughs> so, like, is there any um, is there any major sort of changes you've seen about um, starhead since you've been here like since you started working?
2: no no i wouldn't say major changes because our job is to keep everything the same. same yeah um so as lucy said the house is 300 years old and as is the collection inside yes. it uh the collection itself is what you call indigenous nothing's been kind of brought in from another place it was all originally collected yeah. by the family over the several hundred years that they've lived here yeah. um, so changes not really storylines change though
0: yeah sorry i should have rephrased the question i meant just said uh, the story of the actual house itself because uh, there was as we mentioned earlier um again mm. that there was a building here before stourhead was actually created yeah. but um the actual the landscape of that we don't know where it's no. ended up or, or what was what's actually happened to it either as um yeah but uh, you sort of mentioned it in the sense of the scale that there it was, it's quite a large, a large piece, a large fragment of a house. In a sense, to sort of go go amiss.
2: Definitely, we don't. We know that there was a castle on the site somewhere. It's called Sturton Castle, mm. um, because of the family um, name, which was Sturton. And we've got images of the castle as it was in the house, um, and the entrance for when you go first going on the right hand side. It's quite small and almost. Um, an irrelevant piece but actually it's it's quite fascinating to look at that but like you said we don't actually know where it was. Where it's gone. Yeah, but, uh, but
0: it's, it's It's always interesting in history periods where you can have something that is such a large scale of a building but then it vanishes off the map. But yep. This is obviously a time before technology existed but we had Google Maps we could find things at certain periods but just to have something where Starhead now stands is something that would, again is something of a considerable size but then vanishes off, yep. off, off the face face of the planet in a yeah. sense. But So you were showing me the was over, how many acres was um, Stonehenge?
1: Uh, it's 3,000. 3,000, yeah. 3, <laughs> <laughs> acres.
0: Rather large. Rather large. So, uh, I imagine you've got quite a few garden keepers to look after the site.
1: Yeah, we do. We do it's... have quite a few. Not as many as you might think, though. Um, it's when the team is at full capacity, we have about six um, full-time garden, gardeners, six. yeah, and three um, what you call rangers or um countryside managers right. that also sort of look after the wider estate, the felling of trees. Yeah. Um, and it's so yeah,
0: the listeners who are, might be interested in this, Stourhead was actually the, the idea of the garden. Anyway, it was based off a painting that was brought back. Was it brought back from, do we know if it was brought back from Italy? Is that some of the other artefacts as well? Or?
2: It would have been kind of seen on the guessing. Yeah. We do have so many paintings that yeah. would have been brought back and then it was housed in the picture gallery and um, specifically to be looked at. Yeah. In terms of facts. Oh, where it actually comes from? Yeah, <laughs> yeah more... I'm not going to, I'm not going to say because I can't. I can't no, say no, for certain. But yeah, it's a um, beautiful picture. Um, I think it's by Claude Lorraine. Um, and it's in the picture gallery and you can see it and it shows the idealised picturesque view of kind of ruined temple background with a lake, trees kind of coming into view and also people and nymphs kind of dancing gaily in the foreground so what well, I say very to you, is it's
0: very much like a, par- like a sort of a paradise view mm. in, in, a, in a sense, but it explains where the, the sort of the temple we have now in Stourhead also comes from because it is pretty much identical to the one in the painting. Yeah. So it's quite nice to know that all these ideas were then thrown in yeah. to actually build it in that, that ideology. Yeah. B- well, besides the, the massive river in the painting that goes down the middle, because i was thinking I remember that being in Stourhead, but obviously they do have a lake reservoir within, within as well. So uh,
1: the idea about building the village um, just outside of the garden is that actually that river was meant to go so you're meant to look from the pantheon back over the Palladium Bridge and it would look like a river going up through sort of a quaint English countryside village. So that was, it was tried to be recreated and um, just sort of in uh, yeah, more English scale. Hello,
0: awesome. it's Todd back here on Summer Valley FM. I'm still with uh, Lucy and Peter at uh, the Stourhead National Trust site. So um, we were just talking about how far the National Trust actually goes back and it was actually 125 years, Yeah, so they're nodding at me as i vaguely <laughs> trying to remember to take it in my mind. So, 125 years of history, and obviously the National Trust site itself is quite a fair, fair far back in time to go as well, but obviously you were saying that um, Star- Starhead itself opened up in after 1946, so it's obviously one of the newer ones for the site, but 125 years, so is this the year we're actually going to be celebrating the National Trust site itself?
1: It is, yeah, so we've got, um, as we discussed in the first part of the show, we're celebrating 300 years since the house was built, 75 years since it was handed over to the Trust, and 125 years since um, the Trust was formed and uh, Stourhead is very lucky in that as part of the national 125 year program that the National Trust is putting on we do have three items of our collection in Stourhead that are a part of that that you can come and see at the house so one of them is the Pope's cabinet Uh, the other is a statue of Hercules which is in the pantheon and the third is a bust of King Charles the first First.
0: (laughs) which was wow Quite a magnificent piece as well. It's completely... um, Bonds, I was going to say. Bonds, Mm -hmm. yeah. Complete Bonds. Statue of Charles. I told you it was a little bit inaccurate because his head wasn't missing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Uh, and
2: he's looking very godlike. He is is looking very
0: godlike as well. And you had a painting of him as well. Yeah,
2: we do. We've got a painting of him in Audrey Hall. He's a member of the family who still lives here. It's in her apartment. A little tiny portrait of Charles I so there's two things that connect the family to Charles I mm. everything else is kind of
0: well, somebody who clearly supported the royalists so. <laughs> oh, I don't know I don't, I don't know why
2: we have them the bust was definitely bought from the palace of Whitehall right. by a family member and brought back to Stourhead maybe just as a piece of memorabilia I don't know whether it shows a support because if you only got two things does that really yeah, show a support that's I don't a, that's know a fair point. but yes. it's odd that they stick out as kind of basically you know we the family patronized um, Chippendale the Younger from 1790 um, into the early 1800s mm. so they were very much kind of patrons of modern art at the time so why have these these things which are which are brought into collection 100 years after yeah, the events I yeah. find that really interesting I don't know anything else about it no. but I find the fact that we've got them fascinating and it's right that the bust by Hubert Lasser is part of the yeah. celebrations for 125
0: years. So, um, Lucy, you briefly mentioned the Pope's cabinet uh, mm-hmm. just a moment ago. Now, where King Charles's head's Bond's, yeah, bonds, <laughs> <laughs> a bonds, a statue a head, a head statue now is is where the Pope's cabinet used to design, It is, it, is obviously, but now has been moved. Um, Could you tell us a little bit more about the Pope's cabinet? Because it is, when you see it, when you come to Starhead, you'll notice it is quite a...
2: How do I Outstanding. Get, it, it
0: really outstands into the eye, as in when you walk into the room, you'll get a, a fair amount of shock. Not only because of its size, but what actually it contains within, as it contains over and.
2: 150 drawers or well, that's
0: the ones you know of anyway
2: Absolutely Because
0: uh, there's a drawer with, within a drawer in a sense It's
2: Oh yeah, it's it's it, all hidden And should, little tiny compartments here, there and everywhere It's a complete <laughs> puzzle
0: It's almost a modern TARDIS in a sense.
2: Yeah, yeah <laughs> definitely
0: Um, But yeah, Lucy, um, can you tell us a little bit about the um,
1: Pope's Cabinet itself? Yeah, absolutely. So, the Pope's Cabinet, so the story goes that uh, it was once belonged to Pope Sixtus V and it was brought over by um, Henry Hall II, um, Henry the Magnificent. And it contains, um, I think, as we've already discussed, about 150 um, interlocking and hidden drawers where you'd keep sort of objects of interest or objets d'art. And when you look at it, you think of as just a monumental piece of furniture. actually when you get a bit closer you realise it's a bit more of a cabinet of curiosities. Um, It's Marmite as you go around the house, visitors either love it or hate it because um, when you do come to see it, it is very blingy so you have um, a lot of guild work and you have um, really over a hundred precious gems. Our, our object list has all of the pr- sort of precious stones that are listed in there um, which include sort of um, amethyst, agate, Emerald, apparently. emeralds, yeah. Um, you have even got
0: little sculptures inside the gems itself though, haven't yeah. you, you do. It, which yeah. again dates back to even when the Romans were doing that, so it, it, you can see it has had the influence on the cabinet itself even from you know its history beforehand
1: and but what you find is um, that it's made by a pietra dura technique which is very very thinly carved precious gems sort of inlaid um, to the front so you've got this very very ornate front but when you open it up it's actually made of really light plain pine uh, it sort of betrays its interior as being quite a, uh, a plain piece on the inside but a show on the outside and it's
0: Todd here back on Summer Valley FM i still with Lucy and Peter we've just talked briefly about the um, some of the artefacts and the uh, historical monuments inside the um, house itself but we're actually going to talk about now uh, the Hercules uh, maquette, and uh, later on a little bit about the library area as well, which Lucy's going to talk to us about. But Peter, can you tell us about the Hercules maquette?
2: It is the marble statue of Hercules, which is housed in the Pantheon in the garden. So the maquette is in the library. Yep. The marble statue, the the massive thing, is in the Pantheon. Cool. Um, currently, the Pantheon is not open to visitors, but we're hoping to open that as soon as restrictions allow. Um, so, Hercules is the first thing you see as you come through. The original building um, was made by the architect Henry Flitcroft in 1553, 1554. It's a thing, the temple that you see as you look straight across the lake. It was made to kind of, when you're walking around the lake, you pause and look back across the lake, as Lucy said, towards that kind of false image of the, the kind of river going up into the <laughs> yeah. village. Um, and when you go in, um, Michael Risebrack made this enormous marble statue um, for that temple. It was originally called the Temple of Hercules because of him. Right. Um, later changed to the Pantheon because of everything else that was in there. Uh, he is an astounding creature, I suppose. He stood there with a club, um, with his lion skin looking fairly magnificent. Um, he's bigger than life-size, and he was um, modelled on the most beautiful men of the time who happened to be boxers because of their um, well, musculature.
0: Definitely not me, then.
2: <laughs> so he's quite impressive um, to look at. Um, yeah, and originally it was this maquette, this yeah. a terracotta maquette yeah. that was uh, made by Rysbrack to show off his prowess as a sculpture yeah. that um, Henry fell in love with and decided to have the full-blown marble statue. Made.
0: Yeah, perfect, brilliant. And uh, obviously, there are many marble statues you get, especially during the Regency period as well. But obviously, this particular one really sort of stands out in the house itself as we walked there, uh, mm. as you were saying. Um, but hopefully, when uh, parts of the house get to reopen to visitors, they'll be able to see the rest of the, uh, the architecture yeah. as well that's missing out. Um, Lucy, uh, the library being mm-hmm. your personal favourite. Really. Yes. <laughs> uh Can you talk to us? Because there's, once you go into the library, it's not, how do I put this? It's not what you'd expect to find in your typical library, in a sense. It, yeah. In a, well, starting with the roof, I suppose. The roof is quite unique in the sense of the glasswork that goes on. But it's not, as I found out, it is not stained
1: stained glass work it is actually to tell you. So it's actually uh, so you walk into the library and yeah one of the things that strikes most visitors is this um, absolutely incredible lunette that is set to the other (laughs) other end of the room and yeah a lot of people think it is stained glass but um, in actual fact it's um, two panes uh, a very thin crown glass which has been painted on all four sides Um, so we have a little model of it in the library um, painted on two sides then painted on four and you can tell because it's painted on all four sides it gives a real um, detailed um, richness of, of the painting and uh, when you walk in uh, it's not backlit it's all lit by uh, natural light outside and the colors are absolutely incredible and it uh, depicts uh, the school of Athens by Raphael uh, to sort of show um, Richard Colthor who built that extension mm. uh, his sort of knowledge of science and the arts
0: I mean we're setting up today so we got to see it in its full glory as it were as, as we came in I mean that's probably one of it made me as I noticed it as I came in because the sun was blaring out so uh, it's quite amazing to think that it's, it's well it's basically relying on, on good good British weather which
2: <laughs> yes yeah <laughs> even and bad weather it looks spectacular
0: I mean exactly yeah. exactly I mean it, it really sort of shines out into the rest of the room Though, so when, when you go to a library that's why I mean it's not when you go to a library you're sort of usually astonished by the amount of books that people mm. know and the, the order it's in and the, the way they've been stacked but as soon as you walk in it's, it's probably the main eyeline view of, of yeah. the library mm. in a sense so it really catches your eye uh, as you come in and that was um especially with the uh the floor work as well because the floor work was based on uh, well uh, i believe uh, peter you were saying it was based on roman um
2: kind of like an almost not work by the looks of it mm. um yeah the carpet um reflects more of the classical um pattern of interlacing motifs um, derived from a tiled pavement.
0: Yeah, I mean it's, it's the pattern itself that really sort of stands out as well because again a lot of times in libraries it's not you're not really looking at um, what's surrounding it, it's, it's more it's, it's, it's there usually just to, to Show off the knowledge that you have within the books that you own because the more books you own, the more knowledgeable you are. The more knowledgeable you're going to be. But at least, I think even you said even it being your favourite room, some of them are in Greek, some of them are in Latin. So, mm-hmm. even some even a lot are in French as, well. of French as well. French as well. A bit so, of German. So you've got a whole very wide range of languages within the room itself, but. Um, there's even a fire, as I'm seeing through one of the pictures we've got in front of me, there's even a fireplace that um, comes into the room as well. And we might talk another time. The house did actually, unfortunately, sustain damage in the early 1900s. Yeah, yeah.
2: 1902.
0: it's literally just the start of the Edwardian period. Um, not from the library fire, it was a fireplace upstairs where it first Correct. started in mm-hmm. the early, early hours of the morning. But thankfully, the library remains untouched and unscathed. So you can still, when you visit the site... It's definitely a, work, a room that you will spend at least a few minutes admiring mm. just so you can have a look at yourself and uh, i think as lucy was saying she likes to sit behind a desk and
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. imagine myself with all the yeah the doors open through into the garden leafing through some of the amazing volumes that we've got in the collection over six and a half thousand in total so it's uh, yeah feels very very lucky to be able to look after that very specific part of the house Feels very prestigious.
0: And it's Todd here back on Summer Valley FM. I'm still with Lucy and Peter. We're actually going to talk to you about the, um, how you can actually visit the our Star, uh, Head site <laughs> as you come through. Now, as you may be aware already, if you're National Trust members, you can visit the site for free, and obviously, there's free parking on the site as well. Um, but if you guys want to talk about the opening, and visiting times of the site where they can find it on the main website. Also, you could talk about the furry friends that you can now bring along to the site mm. as well.
2: Um, yeah, we always advise visitors coming to the house and the gardens to check online. That's where you'll find the most up-to-date information um, and times do change according to the season, so please check online. That will give you all the current and up-to-date information about how to visit and where you can go and when. Um, currently, we do have the booking system in place still and that will be lasting um, as long as restrictions are in place. We are following all government guidelines um, so that we are compliant with all safety measures because visitors are, their safety is is really important to us as well. As you go around the house, we've put a one-way system in place. Social distancing measures are still um, not enforced, but we're recommending Social distancing measures are um, applied in the house and we're asking all visitors to wear a face mask unless they have the exemption. Uh, We'll be wearing them as well. Uh, So we're all in the same boat, (laughs) we'll do the same things.
0: Well, we're outside at the moment, that's why we're uh, we're okay, (laughs) but there was a limit of numbers inside the house as well as I noticed as we were going in, just to uh, ensure the safety of that as well.
2: Yeah, what we've done with the booking system is ensure that we have a limited number of people available to book Mm -hmm. per day. Um, otherwise we're, we're such a popular site and it is so beautiful yeah. we would be having too many people and that would um it would just be feel uncomfortable i think for yeah. a lot of people so it means also entry to the house is not guaranteed because of the opening times of the house aren't always in line with how often the site is open and of the time. Yeah. so if you do um, come to the site you have to come out to the house um, between the hours of 11 and three o'clock There may be a queue to get in, because like you said, we do have to limit the people inside the house, but that's for everyone's safety.
0: But uh, uh, is the main part of the garden still open? Is there any parts of the garden? garden
1: as yes uh, so we have a one-way system in the garden as well which um, was introduced last year and I think it's been a bit of a hit because instead of going straight down to the garden entrance that takes you straight opposite the lake you now walk up to the house through the top garden entrance uh, which a lot of people haven't um, visited before and you actually take the um, route that the family would have taken down and sort of the garden is revealed to yourself uh, to everybody in uh, in the way that the family would have originally Intended it. It's a, it's a historic walk, though. It's an historic walk, <laughs> and yeah, I think a lot of people have uh, enjoyed discovering the top garden, mm. um, which they I don't think they had before.
0: No, and also one of your newer factors that I found out, which if you're a pet owner like me, it's quite useful to know you can have a furry friend along as well.
1: You can indeed, so yeah, I have four dogs myself, so it's a, it's a very welcome change, but uh, it is only uh, while this booking system is in place, as we can limit the number of people in the gardens, you can bring your dog all day at the moment, so yeah. while the site is open, you can bring your dog into the landscape garden, but we also do have 3,000 acres of genuinely outstanding parkland walks, where your dogs can be sort of led off on the lead yeah. with Um, uh, just thinking about cattle and uh, that sort of thing So even after the
0: restrictions have lifted, there'll still be things for the Furry Friends to do?
1: Absolutely. We have guided um, walks that you can download on the website of our Parkland Walks up to White Sheet Hill, through Bonham Wood, Mm -hmm. um, over through the Six Wells Valley. So there's always something for the Furry Friends to uh, be entertained by.
0: Well, I'd like to thank both of you for uh, doing this interview with me today. I'm hoping I can come back some time to do more about the house and the gardens, which we barely got to touch today because there's uh, only one layer of the house at a time you can do. Also. Absolutely. Yeah, so I would very much look, uh, look forward to returning to uh, Stourhead in the future.
1: Yeah, we look forward to having you back again. Lovely to have you back, Tony. Yeah.